The lesson is on holiness. Pastor asked me if we if you have to teach a, a four week study. Um, so hopefully I will I will do what he's asked. <laughs> um, and, and holiness is such a broad topic, and everybody has their own idea of what holiness could be. So that's why it could be so broad. Is and so to some people they think of holiness as oh that's the church rules. There they come with the rules. In fact, that's what I thought when I got to church. I was like, oh, that's, that's where they get you. And when you look into it a little further, as, as I did after I got into church, when I was 18, I realized it's not, it's not the rules. It's really about your relationship with God, and it's what he calls upon each and every one of us individually. So that's really what it, it comes and boils down to. So as I, I go through the topic here for holiness, um, tonight it's going to maybe be a little more laying the groundwork for the next coming weeks. Uh, but I hope and I, I believe that each, if you come to all four sessions or you only get to make it to one, I believe that you can leave here with something that you can use to change your life. Is, can everybody hear me okay? Okay. I, and that is, just like any service, it's what you get out of it. So I, I truly believe there's something for everybody in here tonight. Um, now, if you don't mind, I do. I just want to pray real quick. I know we prayed out there for the, for the offering and the sessions, but I just want to pray over our time together. I, I do it with all my Bible studies, so that's kind of just just habit for me. I guess it's a good habit, right? So if you don't mind, let's just let's pray for the next moment. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this time together, Lord. I ask you to minister to us, Lord. Minister to each of us tonight, Lord. I pray you'll reveal yourself to us, Lord. Reveal yourself as we are drawing close to you, looking for a deeper relationship, Lord. I ask you to bless this study. Your word is blessed. I ask you to minister to us and through us tonight, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you do have your Bible with you, let's uh, start in Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 7. We're going to go to Romans chapter 7, verse 6. When you're there, say amen. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't hear an Amen. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go to chapter 7, verse 6. Yes, verse 6. Amen. All right. What shall we say then? Is, it the, is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But... Sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordered, ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. So tonight, as I'm opening up here, I want to kind of look at the Christian and sin. And we're just, like I said, we're going to kind of lay the groundwork tonight. So sin is an old age problem. And nobody, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, nobody is exempt from it. Nobody is exempt from sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have a sinful nature. As humans, we have a sinful nature. Sin is part of us because we have a sinful nature. It's just, it's part of us. It's part of, it's built into us. Amen? So, also called the law of sin, you know, you have the carnal man, the flesh. These terms all refer to the sinful nature. 
that is in us. And as I mentioned, nobody is exempt from a sinful nature. We all have that nature, each and every one of us. Psalms 51.5 says, Shaped in iniquity, conceived in sin. Romans 5.12 says, For all have sinned. It is more than a capacity to sin. It is a compulsion. We are urged, if you will. We are urged within ourselves by the sinful nature to sin. Does that make sense? We have the capacity to do a lot of things, but not the compulsion. We are driven by sin. We are driven to sin by sinful nature. We have, we can understand this from there is a war between the flesh, between the flesh and the spirit. There is a war. That war is constant. That war is always going on. The compulsion to sin is natural. While the desire to be spiritual must be acquired. We must acquire it. And if there's something that we must acquire, that's something you have to work at. It is something that is not just going to come as a natural thing to you. You're going to have to work for it to acquire something. Neither the law of God nor the law of the mind can overcome the law of sin. So, Romans 7, a few points I just want to hit on. Uh, when we, we read, we started, I believe it was in, in verse 6, but I'm just going to kind of hit on a couple of the other verses here. Uh, in verse 1, Paul, in the first part of the chapter, he was laying the foundation. He, saw, he said, the law has dominion over man. Dominion means to rule or to exercise a lordship over. In verse 4, we are dead to the law by the body of Christ. The motions of sin were by the law in verse 5. And the emotions, we mean the, the affliction, the, the suffering. Verse 7 says, The law is not sin, but makes us aware of sin. I'm going to say that again. The law is not sin, but makes us aware of sin. And in verse 14 it says, The law is spiritual. But, don't forget, we, we are carnal. And if you uh, will continue on in, in Romans chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 18. And I'm going to read through verse 25. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not, is, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the, from this, from the body of this death? In verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So in these verses, he builds a principle of the law of God and the law of the mind not being able to overcome the law of sin. In verse 18, he said, there is no good thing in the flesh. And each of us probably can think of a time 
or an experience in your life that would remind you, yes, I could agree, there is no good thing in my flesh. Because my flesh wants what the flesh wants. Amen? The good I would do, I do not. The evil I wouldn't do, I do, in verse 19. This is the opposite to common sense. This shows us that the law of sin is very powerful. It is sin that does that which you would not. A law that when I would do good, evil is present in verse 21. We are to delight, we are to delight in the law of God after the inward man. The law being hid in our heart will produce holiness. I know that was a lot. Verse 23 tells us that there is a law in the members which does two things. It wars against the law of the mind, and it brings a man into captivity by the law of sin. It makes us aware that we are doing wrong. And our mind, our body, we are, our spirit, we are warring. Amen? Because the flesh wants what the flesh wants. The spirit, as we grow closer to the spirit and holiness, it tells us, no, you don't need to do that. No, you don't need to go there. No, you shouldn't have this in your life. But I've always done it. I'm used to it. It's my habit. It's the, my daily thing. They can do it, and that's not bothering them. We can do that. And again, that's that warring that takes place in us. Who can deliver the body of this death? With the mind, we serve the law of God, and with the flesh, the law of sin. The law of God, can, God cannot eradicate sin, and the mind is not powerful enough. We cannot live a holy life by good intentions or by our own works. Which means we can't do no too many good deeds to erase whatever sin we have committed. Whatever the flesh is pulling us to. There is not so many things that you can do or that I can do that can erase the flesh, the desire for the sin. Amen? Does that make sense? We must have the power of the Spirit working inside of us. We have to. It has to be working inside of us. And yes, it's awesome when it's working in us as a group and the Holy Ghost is moving, but I'm talking about us individually. When you leave here on Sunday night, Monday morning, you have to have that relationship with God. I have to have that relationship with God. His Spirit needs to be working inside of me. That is where you're going to get the strength. That is where you're going to get to determination. That's where your desire will build. Amen? We do have a sinful nature that we can and must subdue. We can overcome this, but not alone. We cannot count on ourselves to handle it on our own. Now, I'm not telling you that it's not possible that you, for a time, can overcome it. But eventually, just like your car, you're going to run out of gasoline if you don't stop at the gas station. You may have filled up Sunday night at the altar. But come Monday or Tuesday or next Friday, you're going to run low of the Spirit. If you're not working on your relationship with God daily to achieve holiness, you're going to run out. So we cannot do it on our own. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Dan, yes. isn't that a good argument for those that say, you know, well, I can live without at all? I don't have to be in church. I can do what I want to. So it is. It is a good argument because people, they, they can see it and, and they do. Maybe they do that for a couple days, but then life gets in the way. People, well, you know what, I'll pray later. 
I'll have my, my service later. I'll have my devotional later. And later keeps getting pushed off into your day right. to the next right. day or the next day. So yes, if you're going to try to live for God by never stepping into a church, you're going to fail. I don't care how many TV evangelists, I don't care if you stream us. If you stream Calvary Apostolic Tabernacle, you're going to run into the same problem because you know what? I can do it later. There's always something more important. And then, how many times, and this is just a little throw-in, do we do things while we are maybe listening to something? So your mind's not there. You're not fully engrossed. You're not fully involved. That's a good point. Very good point. Um, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Look around. Okay. In my Sunday school class, I often will say if it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament and about where it might be found, but I looked around real quickly and I think I'm pretty safe. I don't have to do that today. Uh, habits. <laughs> but Galatians is in the New Testament. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The spirit and flesh lust against each other. The flesh wants the spirit to be carnal. The flesh wants to be in control. The flesh wants you to feel good. The flesh wants you to have what you want right now. And that's not always a bad thing. If you're hungry and your flesh is hungry, I'm hungry, I need to eat. And there's McDonald's, so let's go to McDonald's. It's okay. But it also does this in other things. And in other ways. And it gets into our mind. It gets into, you know what, what we're listening to, what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're taking in on the internet. It gets in there because that's what the flesh wants. It goes back to what we were just talking about, about, you know, we can put this off till later because the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And they, and they are warring and the flesh wants to be in control. Because again, I think pastor said it many times, my flesh, I love my flesh. But you have to subdue your flesh. You have to be in control. The spirit has to be in control. Amen? The flesh wants the spirit to be carnal. The spirit wants the flesh to be spiritual. So that battle is taking place. Lusting means and eagerness uh, after the flesh to be under subjection to do right, to do right or to do wrong. The flesh says everything is right if it feels good. James 5 and 4 says, Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. 1 John 1 and 8 if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. There is no deception worse than self-deception. That is when the flesh is in control. We can convince ourselves anything. We can justify anything that we want to satisfy ourselves, to satisfy the flesh. It can be on an enormous amount of differences. It could be the matter of, of eating something. Maybe it's not good for you. It could be just all, all over the place. There's, I mean, I could go on a list, and I don't want to go there. I'd get on a tangent. But there is no deception worse than self-deception. Just because we can make ourselves or make others believe it's true doesn't make it true. You know, we can, 
I'm an HR manager, and part of my job is to enforce different policies. And at the beginning of the year, we have started to enforce and we've changed our dress code policy because the dress code policy has gotten a little laxed. So it's easy to try to look on people and say, okay, that's appropriate, that's not appropriate. But I am a gentleman. And if ladies are meant to be covered up and they are not covered up, it would be easy as a man to look at a lady and well, I have to look at her because I have to make sure she's covered or wearing appropriate clothes, okay? If you're at the mall and you see somebody walk by and maybe they're barely wearing anything, that first, I believe Bishop said it, that first look is free. What you do next, you make a decision to do. Right. Same goes with for a lady, for a guy. If you see a guy walking by, you might notice him. Okay, that's a handsome man. But what you do next with it, the more looks you have, the more glances you take, and more you put it in your mind, you made that decision. But you could justify it. Oh, I was looking at his nice suit. I was looking at the haircut. I was looking at her pretty dress. You can justify it. As someone enforcing a policy, I could easily justify something. Well, I've had to, I had to look twice because I had to make sure it was appropriate. Oh, and I wanted to get someone else's opinion. And again, we can justify anything we want. Like I, I said, the first look is free, but what you do next is on you. And you can justify it. You can deceive yourself. And there is no worse deception than self-deception. Does that make sense? Yes. Did that connect? I was hoping that would connect. We can deceive ourselves, but it doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it hold up to the standards of the Bible. It doesn't hold up to the standards of God. Amen? Amen. No man or no woman is exempt from the ability to be deceived. We understand that Paul was looking for an escape from the body of this death. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he asked the question, who can deliver me? Who can deliver me from the body of this death? In Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 25, it says he gave the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He immediately makes us aware of who can deliver us. He asked the question and he gave you an answer. Who can deliver you? He didn't say, I can deliver myself. Or I can go to this person and they can deliver me for it. He gave us the answer. There is nobody that can deliver us except Jesus Christ. Amen? We cannot deliver ourselves. We are not capable. Others cannot deliver us. Neither the law nor sacrifice can deliver us. And I already mentioned it, but you cannot swap your good deeds from your sin. It does not work that way. It's not a tally that you can see and keep hold of. Jesus is our only means of deliverance for the carnal man. And each of us are a carnal man or a carnal woman. So I was kind of looking at the Christian and sin. I want to look at now the Christian's response to sin. If we turn to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to go to verse 1. We are going to go through Romans chapter 6, uh, 1, verse 1 through verse 7. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that we are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are bruised with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the death by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And verse 7, for he that is dead is free from sin. Amen. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we must not sin. We cannot sin just because we know grace is there. We cannot treat it as a get out of jail free card. That is not the idea, that is not what was, was being built here. That is not what Jesus did on the cross for us. That agony that he had that day was not to give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Yes. That's pretty deep. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It is obviously good not to sin. To sin when one knows it is wrong becomes multiple sins. The actual sin being the first sin, and the committing of the sin that you already know to be sin becomes the second sin. You've just added more to it. But the flesh doesn't want you to think about that. It doesn't want you to dwell on that. Because it wants what you want. What it wants what it wants. It wants what's good for me right now. Self-deception. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There is an advocate if we do sin. An advocate means an intercessor or a counselor. We have someone that we can go to. We have someone that will help us with this. This still does not give us the allowance. It does, still does not give you the hall pass. It does not give you that get out of jail free card. The key word in the verse is if we sin, not when we sin. There is a big difference. You can read the verse and you can interpret it and you might have been like, okay, well, when I sin, I mess up, all right, I can go to God. And many people think that and they run with it. They didn't read it. They didn't take the time to study it. They didn't catch every word. That big word there, that little word is a big word, if, not when. The writer is saying that it is possible to live above sin. There are days that we all probably can agree that I don't feel it's possible to live above sin. I feel that the flesh is just so overwhelming today. There are days like that. And for many people, they wake up with that every day. But it is possible to live above sin. But if we sin. We do have an advocate that will intercede for us, that will move upon this for us. There is forgiveness. There is a way out. A Christian will not inherit eternal life if sin is left unrepented. First Corinthians. Uh, let's turn to First Corinthians, verse uh, chapter six. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but not be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor all adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Verse 10, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul makes a strong warning that we be not deceived. Be not deceived. There is no deception, again, worse than deceiving ourselves. We could look at the list from those two verses and be like, oh, that's not me, that's not me, I'm good. Just name off a couple. And not pay attention to the rest. We always look for the part, that's not me, that's not me. It's the easy, it's the get out of jail free card that we're making in our mind. It's the flesh. What men call weakness and false, the word calls sin. We try to cover it up with a weakness. Oh, that's my weakness. That's, that's my weakness. Ah, it's just one of those faults that I have. I've always had it. It's just, it's gonna, it's, I'm going to carry it around. Leave it at the altar. Making excuses for ourselves. Self-deception. We do this easily. We make excuses. We make excuses for our family. We make excuses for ourselves so easily that they come off. And we don't even think about it sometimes. They're just a reflex. That's the flesh. We're trying to hide something. That weakness, that false, that sin. So, what men call weakness and faults, the word calls sin. This refutes the doctrine of once saved, always saved. There is not a such thing as once saved, always saved. Amen. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lavishness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, uh, emuliations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such, and such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh. No flesh shall glorify in his presence. No flesh shall glorify in his presence. That's 1 Corinthians 1.29. To worship God while the flesh controls us becomes a vain attempt to reach God. We're fooling ourselves. We're fooling others. But you're not fooling God. Pastor, I hope this is what you were looking for when you asked. Okay. Now, you're probably thinking, well, hold on a second. You said to worship God while the flesh controls us becomes a vain attempt to reach God. We live in the flesh. Yes, we do. And we must worship in the flesh so far as the vessel is concerned. The contents that are poured out to God must be spiritual. They must not be carnal. They must be spiritual. They must be in connection with Him and His Spirit. The only way to pour out spiritual things is to be full of spirit and dead to the carnality. We have to be dead to the carnality. It does sneak in there. And if we didn't leave it at the altar, if we, even if we left everything but we picked something up that we knew we weren't ready to get rid of, you kept a foothold for sin. Does that make sense? You, you kept a foothold for sin. Bishop said it, pastor said it many times. We need to leave it all at the altar. Yes.
Right. That's getting our flesh involved in the worship. Yep. And that in itself would be more sincere. It is. It's reaching out to God. Yep. It's reaching out to God. You're not doing it for the show for your neighbor. No. You're doing it for God. That's right. Exactly. That way you can get connected. It gets you, not only does it get you involved, you and God involved, but what that also does, and we've said this many times, I, don't, I can probably every preacher said it, it, it jumps the whole service as well. But it does you. The most important is you. You need to be saved. You need to go to heaven. You have to have a relationship with God. And yes, if we sit here and do it in our mind, yes, it's good. And if that's all you can do, if that's all you can do, then that's all you can do. But if you can do more, give more. Yeah. If you want to stir it up and if you want to reach out to God, you have to reach out to God. It's an action on our part. That's good. Good question. The only way to pour out spiritual things is to be full of the spirit and dead to carnality. So we must have to put that into work. We must put off the works of the flesh and put on the fruits of the Spirit. Let's look at the fruits of the Spirit. We were in just in Galatians. We'll pick up in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, such things there is no law. Putting on the fruit of the Spirit and incorporating them into our lives is essential. It is a must. It is an action. It's something we have to do. Amen. First John chapter two verses uh, six or uh, three through six. They tell us that we must live what the word says. We cannot say we love him and then disobey him. He that does so is a liar, and the truth is not with him. Now, I'm going to mess this person's name up, so forgive me. Uh, in a book, The Cost of Discipleship, was by author Dietrich Bonhoeffer, sets forth this premise. Only he who believes obeys, and only he who obeys believes. If we sin, we must repent. God forgives. He is faithful and just to forgive us after we confess. It does take something. It does take confession before God will respond. We have to confess. And that is something that we have to do individually. We can't do it for our neighbor. We can't do it for our loved ones. We can't do it for our children or our friends. We all have to confess. We all have to repent. True repentance. True repentance. A change takes place. It has to take place. Not in just one area, but in your mind, your heart, and your direction. You make a change in your life. Not to just one or two of those, but all three of them. You need to truly repent to lay things down. You have to change your direction. If you're doing something wrong, you stop doing it. If you're acting a certain way, you stop acting that way. You try to stop doing those things. Am I telling you you're not going to have a habit that you're trying to get rid of that is sinful, that you're not going to pick up on Monday on accident? No, you're human. You're going to do it out of habit. But that's where the repentance should come in. He's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not, no, this ain't, I'm, this is not, this takes me down a road I shouldn't go down. The internet is an awesome tool. <laughs> But it is, it is a tool that the devil uses dramatically. There are such good, positive things on the internet. 
and there is such evil deception on the internet. There are some people that can get on the internet, do what they need to do, and they have no trouble. There are some people that get on the internet and what they do is they find themselves doing the things that they want to look at and doing the things they don't need to do. Why? Well, the browser history was already there, so it's given me suggestions. Or I noticed this, so it made my mind go here. Some people cannot be on the internet by themselves. It's been taught to, to, uh, to young people that you, if you cannot control yourself, and even if you think you can, you should not be on the internet alone. Have your computer where you're, it's in an open space, it's not alone. It is such a wonderful, good thing, but it is also an evil, deceptive thing. And it's so easy to, to fall into that. So it is easy to pick up a habit that maybe you laid down as sin. You know, I can't do this, I can't go there. I cannot do these things. But it doesn't mean that everybody that uses the internet is sinning. But it might be just for me because I have a habit that I, I can't break alone. Does that make sense? Is that it? There are guidelines to overcoming, for overcoming sin. And it really comes down to one day at a time. We are human and it is really one day at a time. Let's turn to John chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verse 14. And it says, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. From that point forward, he was told to go and sin no more. He was told to lay it down and not do it again. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 11. She said, No man, Lord, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Take the overcoming of sin one day at a time. It is one day at a time. Make up your mind. Repent. Leave it at the altar, but take it one day at a time. Commit every moment of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week to live above sin. Put it in the forefront of your mind. Instill it in the forefront of your mind. That's great, preacher. How do I do it? I like what you're saying, but now tell me how to do it. I'm waiting. Come on. Prayer. Prayer. I don't have anything big, outlandish that you probably weren't expecting to hear, like, oh, he's going to give me something I've never heard before. It's prayer. Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, it says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but... He that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Verse 27 says, They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. The Spirit helpeth us with our infirmities. The strength of prayer comes through the fact that the flesh can access the power of the Spirit, without which we can never overcome sin. You have to get in connection with God. You have to pray. Not just at mealtime, not just on Sundays. You have to pray. You have to talk to God. The Spirit maketh an intercession. Now think about that. That is an incredible resource. The Spirit maketh an intercession for our needs, for our our struggles, our sin. That is an awesome resource that each of us can tap into. We have to tap into it. We have to get there. Each of us has to get there. 
During intense prayer, the Spirit itself begins to intercede on our behalf. The Spirit knows what is necessary to overcome sin, and if we will truly pray, then the Spirit will manifest itself in our lives. That's not just one prayer. That's not just one trip to the altar. That's a daily conversation. That's a daily prayer. That's a daily interaction. That is the daily journey. My Sunday school class hears this, and they probably can tell you, he says this every week, a daily journey. Living for God is a daily journey. Yes, it is. We make that decision on our journey every day where we go. There's a books that were popular when I was younger. They were choose your own adventure. You can read so far into the book, and then you can, it gives you an option to go to this page or to this page, and you can design where that adventure goes. So you could read the book two or three times, and it would be different two or three times. We have that every day. We choose our adventure. We choose our journey with God every day. If we choose not to start our day with prayer or to incorporate prayer into our day, we made that choice. Where would we have gone if we would have added that prayer in that day? Where would we have gone if we would have added it, whether it be at the beginning of the day or at some part of the day? We choose our own adventure. We do choose that journey. Each of us does that every day. You also live above sin by, and I'll have to wrap up soon here. I don't want to go too long. You also, have, you also live above sin by putting the word of God in your heart. Yes, yes prayer. But yes, the word of God. That's God's word. We have to put it in our heart. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doeth he meditate day and night. Delight in the law of the Lord. Delight means to pleasure or things desired. Desire in the law of the Lord. Let me say it that way. Meditate it. Meditate on it day and night. Meditate, study, ponder, speak about it, discuss it, share it. Day and night. Notice it goes through an outward studying to an inward contemplation that we have to take in. Then it is expressed. Familiar scripture to everyone, Psalms 119.11 Thy word have I hidden in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Hide means to, to hoard, reserve, protect. Protect the word in your heart. The word must not only be instilled in our hearts, but we must, at all costs, protect it there. What do you mean? I mean, you need to read your Bible. When something comes upon you, when that habit, that sinful habit comes upon you, and that reaction, that urge, that flesh wants to do it, where are you pulling from? Did a scripture come to mind? Oh, wait a minute, I can't do that. Where did that scripture come from? Well, you read it. You studied it. Well, that was two weeks ago. Well, you needed it today. God knew that. Does that make sense? We have to put it in our heart. It kind of goes back to that one verse. It's not when we sin. It's if we sin. It's reading the word. It's understanding the word. Well, you know what? The Bible, my goodness, the King James Version. Thee, thou, I don't even know. Then you get into genealogy, yeah. King James Version, yes. There are other versions that you can use to help translate. Get an understanding. 
Well, I don't really like going into the other versions because I, I've been told that we stick by the King James Version for a reason. Talk to somebody that has knowledge about it. Ask your pastor, ask your bishop, your assistant pastor, ask a Sunday school teacher. There are people that are willing to talk with you about the Bible. They would love to talk with you about the Bible. If you had something you weren't sure about, ask a question. James 1.21 Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. We must lay aside the works of the flesh. We have to lay them down. The word lay is a verb which shows an action on our part. I've said it a couple times tonight. There is an action on our part. We have to do something. Sister Joyce, that was a great, great question that led to an, uh, an idea of filling up and connecting with God's spirit. Well, if I'm full of carnality, how do I get rid of it? Connecting with God's spirit, worshiping in worship service. There is an action on our part. We have to do something, not just at church. Every day. We must not think that just because we have the spirit of the Lord, that sin is automatically taken from us. If you do that, you are deceiving yourself. You're not going to freshly new come to the Lord, receive the Holy Ghost, got baptized. And it's not sin's not just going to melt away in your life. We can't think that's going to be the case because you're still going to go to the people and you're going to go to the family that doesn't know and they don't, they, 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 what are you getting into this cult? It's still going to be there, your work, your school, it's all going to still be there. Sin is not going to just melt away from you. Your habits are still going to be there when you go home at night, whatever they might be if they are sinful. Here James tells us that we must be involved in the process. It is up to us to lay aside the works of the flesh of the works of the flesh. Receive the word. Once the works of the flesh have been laid aside, the next step is to allow the engrafted word to be placed inside of you. We're at 830. I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Um, I definitely am not even through my notes for week one, but that's okay. Um, but we are, we are at 8.30, so I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, and we will pick up here as we go forward.